Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Uh, we have an awesome Christmas presentation for you from our promised land. They will be singing you some songs, telling you the story of the first Christmas, the real reason for Christmas, and we invite you to sing along if you know the songs. A village in Galilee to a woman named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this be? I am not married. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby will be born holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Once more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary replied, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph! Son of David, the Lord said, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the woman will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Mary entered the house and greeted Elizabeth at the sound of Mary's greeting. Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of the Lord would visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said he would do. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancestral home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flock of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified by the angel. But she reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest of heavens, and peace on earth to whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby, lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had told them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her hearts and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flock, glorifying and praising God, for all they had heard and seen, it was just as the angel had said. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judah during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. 
he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. The star went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt.
Good morning, everybody. <laughs> that is a very hard act to follow, let me just say. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you so much to Promised Land, the volunteers, the kids. They have been working on this since the beginning of September to, to just bless us with that amazing treat. And um, I do have to say, I think our, our young one who played Mary did a really great job of doing that whole pregnancy walk. <laughs> and a few of us ladies are just a little jealous about how that birth and delivery went. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, what a fun way to start the day. My name is Dion. Thank you so much for joining us here at Crossroads this morning. Um, I have the privilege of being able to give the message and um, also good morning to our online family. Just appreciate you guys hanging out with us for a little bit this morning. Um, it was a great way to start the day. And I think, you know, because we are simply here a few days before Christmas, I think a lot of us are feeling the pressure of getting the rest of our, our Christmas chores and to-dos done. Um, and so I think for, for all of us, but I know for myself, certainly, it's a wonderful and much-needed reminder to know that in this we, we can have joy. We can have joy because the Lord has come. And um, this really is what Christmas is all about. And if we're not careful... If I'm not careful, uh, the process of getting ready for the celebration, you know, shopping for dinner and gifts and wrapping presents and, and baking and all of these things, that the busyness and the to-dos can actually disrupt our joy and we forget to have fun. Um, and the reason why we're celebrating. And so we can really kind of lose the big picture if we're not careful. Um, but what the story that the kids told is a story that took place over 2,000 years ago. And as we know it with Christmas, this story is that an infant was born into the world that would absolutely change everything. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world as a, as a human infant. And it said, and he, and a host of heaven, the angels of heaven came to a group of regular everyday Joes, guys, blue collar workers out in the field tending their sheep. And the host of heaven chose them to give the greatest birth announcement in the world, that they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger, and that their message was that glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom the Lord is pleased. And so really, that's what our, our, our message is about today, is peace. And, and the peace that, I, that I'm sure that all of us are searching for. You know, we live in tumultuous times. Things change every single day. Sometimes when we wake up in the morning, we're just not really sure what to expect. And it can certainly leave us feeling unpeaceful. And so probably most of us are, are really looking to have that sense of peace. And so we're going to talk about that. But the fact that it's found in the peace of Christ and it's in peace through God. And so again, on that night so many years ago, this announcement that the angels gave um, really was a fulfillment of prophecy given about 700 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah, where again, we find that the child that was born to us, that one of his titles besides wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, but also prince of peace. And so here we see that this is a, a promise of God, and it's certainly something for us to look at considering, you know, I'm sure we wonder, it's like, if this is the case, why is there so much division in the world? Why is there so much hatred and so much strife and so much conflict? And so we'll take a look at really how we define peace. You know, why, what is it when I say the word peace, what do we immediately think of? 
probably a lot of us just naturally tend towards feelings of, of relief, you know, no stresses, no worries, things are going smooth in life. And so we're going we're gonna to look at really what the biblical meaning of peace really is. And the neat thing is for what we have been learning over the last several weeks, or well, actually the last couple of months, we have been doing a series called Fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, as we have been going through each one, is understanding that when a person chooses to follow Christ, we now have a new spirit in us. We have what is called the fruit of the Spirit, and God's Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. And so that now as, as a Christian, we have these qualities or this nature that is, that is actually from the Lord. And so we've been studying the fact that the fruit that we get, the natures and qualities that we get is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things are ours immediately the moment that we, be, that we believe in Christ. And so granted, we have all of these. So now we have the Holy Spirit that empowers us to be able to respond to life and to circumstances and to people, um, especially when we're in line at Stater Brothers at 830 at night trying to get home <laughs> and eat dinner, that we can have patience and that we can have all of these things. And, and so we can respond to these things in a way that is not only going to be life-changing for us, but it's going to be a testimony to others, and it's going to honor God in the process as well. But the truth is, is that even though as Christians we are given these, given these amazing qualities, um, we do live in a reality that is the fact that we are still wrapped in a body of flesh. You know, we still live on this earth, which is pushed and pulled, um, you know, by the things of life, by all of these things. And so we do often find ourselves still struggling to feel at peace. And so um, we, we wrestle with this. And honestly, this is one of the areas that I actually struggle with the most. Um, I have a tendency to stress over absolutely everything. Um, my biggest stress factor is the worry over time. I'm always feeling like I'm not ever going to have enough time to do the things I need to do and to accomplish things I want to. So I stress over time. I stress over writing messages. I stress over um, work, you know, the list of to-dos. And, and again, for me, I have to be very careful because with the Christmas season, I can become very stressed over trying to accomplish everything, and, and I start to worry. And when I worry, I certainly don't feel at peace. When I'm not at peace, guess who else isn't at peace? Yeah, my husband. <laughs> my, my family. Yes, they know when mama's not at peace, they, they go elsewhere. So no, I try not to do, I try not to do bad, but it's something that I have to work on every single day. And so the thing is, is that if what we're looking for is a feeling, if we're looking for just kind of, you know, being relaxed all the time and not stressing about anything, you know, we might actually be going down the wrong path and kind of looking at it in the, in the wrong way. Um, it's not that we can't have feelings of peace. We can. We do have feelings of peace. It can become a feeling. And, and when it's godly peace, we know when it happens. It's, we understand this. But peace is more than a feeling. It's, it's a state of being. It's a gift. It's a quality of the nature of God. And it is definitely something that we actually have to practice. We have to work on it. We have to strive for it and pursue it. And this, this kind of peace that comes from the Lord is a peace that can transcend all circumstances, no matter how tough they are. And so I know for myself, um, one of the first indicators that I may be doing something wrong, that I need to take stock of what's going on in my life is when I am no longer 
feeling peace. And when I am no longer having the peace of God, I need to check what's going on inside of my heart. Maybe I might be sinning somewhere. And so this is one of the, the cues for us is that because we can often be our own worst enemy. You know, we get overcommitted. We have a tendency to focus on the negative. And much of what we learn with peace, just as we learned last week when Bill taught on joy, is that this has everything to do with what we choose to focus on because we choose what we focus on. We either choose good and God or we choose to focus on negativity and the worst of circumstances and worrying about the outcomes. So as we get started this morning, just to kind of help us um, understand more about what the biblical definition of peace is to get us in on our and on lay a foundation, we're going to watch a video from the Bible Project that's going to help us uh, kind of figure this out a little bit. So let's watch. Common in most languages, people can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. 
Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Isn't that fun? Yeah, I mean, it really just kind of helps expand our understanding of what peace is beyond just the simple feelings of what peace brings us. And so the video does a great job. And, and you know, hopefully, you know, we did come to a new understanding because this is really kind of an entirely different view. Um, the reality, like it said, is that Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our shalom, our erene that we're looking for. So that that's really what we can and should be looking for when we are on the pursuit of peace, when we're searching for that, because he is the source and he is the path of peace. And we absolutely can look forward to that considering, you know, and the world right now just simply does not feel so peaceful. But when we, when we look at peace, we also have to understand that on the opposite end of it, that the world also tries to offer us peace. You know, the world will tell us that there are things that will bring us peace, just like there's things that will bring us joy or bring us happiness. And so just before, you know, Jesus was crucified, he actually took the time to tell his disciples, um, you know, he, he tells them to not be afraid. We see in these verses in John where Jesus is telling them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. So even Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? Out in the world, the world is going to try to sell you a bill of goods that is going to, to give you peace inside of your life. But he says, it's not going to be the same. So don't let your heart be troubled or be afraid. And that he said these things to them so that in him, that we may have peace. So clearly he's also pointing to the fact that it is in him, in Christ, that we can actually have peace in the world because the world is going to do nothing but bring tribulation. The world is going to give us tribulation and trials and persecutions, but he says that we can take heart because he has overcome the world. So when, when we are in him and we are his followers because he has overcome the world, so we can too. And so we can overcome anything that comes our way. Now, the peace that the world tries to promise us is a false peace. And what it, what it basically tells us is that, you know, the, no, the, really what we find is that the world will say that we will have peace when there's more tolerance, um, when there's more inclusivity, when there's more equality, when we have more money, maybe if we have more time, um, more friends, or, you know, sometimes single folks might think, man, I just have some peace if I, if I just found that husband or that wife. Really? <laughs> Marriage is wonderful, but it is not going to always bring you peace. <laughs> oh my goodness. Or kids, right? So there you go. Um, no, but the thing is the, the world will tell us, you know, even things on a, on a much larger scale, you know, when there's no more war, when there's no more famine, when there's no more disease, when we're all just getting along, then we might have peace. And, you know, even though all of these things are good and they're great and they, we should strive for some of these things, the challenge is, is that achieving them is not going to bring lasting peace. We might feel better temporarily, but when it comes to the fact that people are just people and apart from God, our sinful nature will, is always going to be what rules us.
I don't know about you, but I still have a little PTSD from a few years ago. <laughs> so there we are. Our kids are amazing. I love hearing their footsteps up there. But people, we are ruled by our sinful nature. And so when it comes to the peace that the world offers us, it really is self-focused. And, it, and it's very dependent on the behavior of others, how they're treating us, um, you know, what our relationships are like, or even just the fact that situations are working in our favor. We feel at peace when things are smooth. But see, the peace of God transcends all of that. And, and oddly, when I was um, working on the message, I happened to cross on the news the other day, come to find out that the Nobel Peace Prize um, was just awarded. And it, it just kind of piqued my attention, of course, for the obvious reason, because I'm working on a message on peace. So it, it piqued my interest to find out what exactly do you have to do to win the Nobel Peace Prize? And so I went to their website and found out that... Um, the, the, this year's winners uh, were awarded to a woman from the Philippines named Maria Ressa and a gentleman from Russia named Dmitry Muratov. And they were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for their efforts to safeguard the freedom of expression, which is a pre... Now, this is the quote from the site. To get the... To, in order to win is the efforts of safeguarding freedom of expression, which is the precondition for democracy and lasting peace. And I thought this was really kind of interesting. So for them, their efforts inside of their own country to, to protect the freedom of expression is really is what got them their award. Now for us in the United States, um, an, a country that's bounded, uh, founded on biblical principles, we have enjoyed that freedom for hundreds of years, freedom of speech and, and all of this stuff. But what challenged me is that saying that the precondition for lasting peace is freedom of expression, I thought was kind of, was kind of unusual because, because of the fact that by nature we are sinful humans apart from God, lasting peace and even democracy is not going to happen without Jesus Christ at the center. Period. And I think we all know that right now. We're living it. We're watching things unravel. And the reason is because Christ is no longer in the center of our nation. And so without God, we will not have peace or a healthy, balanced, and functioning democracy. And so I find it interesting that thousands of years ago, God actually gave the conditions, the preconditions of lasting peace. Um, and we find this in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 28. We're only going to look at this for a couple seconds because I, I would absolutely encourage you guys, if you have not read the book um, or that particular chapter, I mean, yes, read the book of Deuteronomy, read the whole Bible, actually. <laughs> um, but this particular chapter um, was part of the law that was given to Moses as, as he's leading the people out of Egypt and they're going through the wilderness and God's given them the Ten Commandments. But in chapter 28, God says what will happen when we follow him and what will happen when we don't follow him. And so we find that, that in this, the conditions, the preconditions are really kind of hang on a word if, and we always have to remember that is that the Lord says, if we faithfully obey him, being careful to do all of his commands that he commands us, that he will set us high above all the nations of the earth. And all of these blessings will come on us. If we, if we obey him, that we will be blessed in the city, we'll be blessed in Ridgecrest, we'll be blessed in Inyokern, we'll be blessed in Trona even. Um, <laughs> I love you guys in Trona, it's all good. Um, and we will be blessed in the city, in the field, the fruit of our womb, 
our children will be blessed. Uh, the fruit of our ground, the work that we do will be blessed. You know, the increase of our herds, the young of our flock, we will have plenty of food. Um, we'll be blessed when we leave. We'll be blessed when we come back. I mean, God, God surrounds us. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us good things. It brings glory to him. It shows the nations who he is. And he's kind enough to let us know, if you are faithful to follow me, it doesn't mean in perfection. He knows we're going to mess up. But if we are faithful to follow him, we have these conditions of lasting peace. And there's another if we need to be very careful of and to, and to um, understand. And that's the if of if we do not obey. <clears throat> and the if of us not obeying is, uh, is the total opposite. I did not list the enormous list of what happens when we don't obey. All of these curses will come on us if we choose to not faithfully obey and follow him. And it's this huge list of, you know, war and nation against nation and, you know, famine and disease and pestilence and all of these things happen and families coming apart and marriages coming apart and all of this stuff going on, which is all stuff that we see now. And so God's plan. So when we're looking at peace with God, peace, peace with God is really what we need in order to experience the peace that transcends circumstances. So he gives us this precondition for lasting peace, which is a relationship with him and a pattern of faithful obedience to him. And really, so that starts with us pursuing peace with him. You know, obviously we can't control the state of the world or the, or the, the responses and choices of other people, but we can control us. We can control our decisions and what we choose to do. And so in God's plan to offer us peace, he did this through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and he did this by, by putting you know, Christ in here through salvation and, and him giving his life so that the wall of separation between us and the Lord, which is sin, is taken down. We saw in the video that that wall was restored through Christ, our shalom. It was restored to wholeness. And that that's the gift that we have that God gives us is that we can choose to be restored in wholeness with him. And we can have peace with God. We can have erene, which means we are no longer condemned. We don't have to fear the judgment of the Lord because we have erene through Christ. And so not only do we have that, we're no longer condemned, but we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And this hit me the other day coming in that one of, one of the greatest things of the peace of God, when we accept him and when we choose him, is the peace of knowing that the sins of our past, the ugliness, the pain, that's been done to us, that we've done to others, is no longer on us. I mean, imagine the worst thing that we do and we think about it and that with Christ, God has forgiven us and we're a new creation and we don't have to worry about that anymore. That's peace. That's what we need. And so here we are, you know, as a new creation, but we will soon come to discover that we still have troubles. Peace with God does not mean 
there's going to be an absence of problems, but the ability through the Holy Spirit to live and to practice and pursue this peace with other people inside of our relationships and trials and life in general. And, and, and that's where really too where, where peace demonstrates itself because peace is active. You know, just as much as shalom, the restoration, the complete and wholeness is active, we have to be active in peace as well, which means when it comes to our relationships, when we have the peace of God in our lives through a relationship with him, we now pursue peace with other people. And so what this means, as Paul tells us, is that in the book of Romans, is that as far as, it is de- as far as we can manage it, as far as it depends on us to live peaceably with all people. So it's basically meaning he knows that we're not always going to be at peace with people. We have to do the work of pursuing peace with others. And so what this means is it starts with us. So now we have the responsibility of living in peace as much as we possibly can. So relationships that have been strained now have a new hope of reconciliation. And we can and should make every effort to be able to restore broken friendships, um, restore division in our family, restore, you know, doing what we can to restore any conflict inside of marriages. And so we get to take the initiative in this. And so what this means is that is that we, it starts with us, like I said before, and there's a, there's a saying that I learned um, when we've, I, you, some of you guys I know have taken the course that we offer here called self-confrontation. Um, it's offered through Biblical Counseling Foundation. It's, they're amazing, wonderful people. Um, but when they teach on this aspect of reconciliation and they use a verse in Matthew, um, that says, if, if we're offering our gift at the altar, and while there, remember that someone has something against us. So let's just imagine for a moment, you're sitting here in the middle of church, and it clicks in that you've said or done something that has hurt someone. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh, okay, well, Jesus says, we need to go do something about it. Now, please don't get up and leave. <laughs> If that has happened, because now we know who you are, <laughs> for one thing. But it's like, no, it's, it's, if we realize we have said something that has hurt someone's feelings, if we have done something and we recognize and God brings it to our heart and our mind, we need to do something about it. So then what we do is we, we commit to make that a priority. So the first thing we do after we leave church and go to lunch or do whatever is we make our commitment to go reconcile with that person. And so that's what we're talking about. But taking it back to self-confrontation, the way they teach this, very simple thing we can all learn. The one who knows, goes. That means it's our responsibility to go take the initiative to reconcile a relationship if we need to. And honestly, when it comes to the peace of God that, that we bring into our relationships, many, many marriages and families have been transformed when one person chooses to follow Christ because we're given a new heart. And so now we have a new attitude and there's a new hope and there's a new understanding and we have a new motive inside of that relationship, which means rather than digging in and waiting for the other person to come beg us for forgiveness, we just forgive they don't have to come to us. We just do it because the Lord has already done that for us. We start making changes rather than waiting for the other person to change. And then we'll change after that because God changes us from the inside out. So we get to initiate this. But the truth and the hard, the hard part of this is that even when we do this, even when we've made every effort, there's just simply no guarantee. 
There's no guarantee that the other person is going to respond in the way that we're hoping to. Sometimes they continue to dig in. And so this is really where the test comes for us. When, when things don't go our way, even though we're making every effort, that we continue to live in peace with the person. And this, when we do that, it can actually show, you know, how Christ changes a life. Um, in fact, I, I was, I got the opportunity to watch this in action um, over the course of a few years. Um, I know a lady whose husband was incredibly cruel to her. Um, now, she is a Christian. Her desire was to restore her marriage, and she wanted to do what God wanted her to do. She didn't want to sin. She didn't want to make the wrong move. She didn't want to do the wrong thing. So she was just really wanting to, to obey God and do what was necessary. So she, you know, tried to do everything with, you know, counseling, but in all of this, but her husband rejected every effort that she made, including um, rejecting God in the process as well. And so in the course of a few years, um, as she tried, the husband, her husband just, he never stopped saying mean things to her. He never stopped being cruel. He never quit hurting her. But because of her love for the Lord, she was able to live peacefully with him. See, what happened is that it wasn't that things were great. It wasn't that she was always happy. In fact, you know, she was frequently in tears. Um, but what she did do is she, she did not argue with him. She did not retaliate. She did not stop being a godly wife. She continued to cook dinner. She continued to clean the house. She continued to serve him the way, the way Christ would want her to serve. And to be honest with you, I mean, for me, it was so motivating and such an inspiration and a testimony to me, you know, because that's a challenge, you know, when, when we think about being put in that situation, how much that would challenge us, you know, and sadly, her husband never responded to her efforts and he did ultimately end up divorcing her. But you know what? She still has peace because she has the peace of knowing that she was faithful to God and she was faithful to her husband. She's not responsible for what he did. So she has that peace. And so that's what it means for us, that is as far as it is possible with us, because God knows our efforts and he knows those efforts will often go rejected. But what we are to continue to do is to live and behave peacefully with them, regardless of how a person responds. And so what it means is that when, you know, at home and, and at work, you know, at home, if, if we, you know, are, are kids who have, you know, grumpy and, and grumbling parents, we obey our parents. And we continue doing the things we need to do to pursue peace with our parents. If we are parents with grumpy, grumbling kids, <laughs> we pursue peace with our kids. And we continue to parent them in a godly way. You know, whether we are at work, our political, view, our political views, and, you know, the family dinner table at Christmas might be full of all kinds of fun conversation. What we are to do is to let the peace of Christ rule in our heart. We are to be thankful. We are to focus on on what is good and let the word of Christ dwell in us. So as Christians, you know, we no longer get to engage in things that are going to cause arguments and disputes. We are to wisely let the peace of Christ rule in us and avoid foolish controversies, avoid dissensions. If we can't have a grown-up conversation around the dinner table about an opinion on this side or the other, then we just don't have the conversation. That's how we pursue peace with other people. That's what makes for, you know, that's how we follow God's word. And so not only that, but what this does is it protects us from gossip. 
It protects us from negative thinking. It protects us from, you know, going down that road all the time. So that's our, the, how the peace of God works itself through peace inside of our relationships. But there's also the trials of life. I mean, we go through life and obviously bad things happen. You know, I'm sure there's probably not a person here right now who isn't in the middle of some sort of a trial. And if you're not, I hate to break it to you, but you might, probably will. <laughs> you probably will, because we're told that in the world we will have tribulation. And so, you know, even now, I mean, I don't need to bring up the fact that, you know, we're dealing with COVID for going on, entering on our third year. A lot of us are pretty sick and tired of all of this. <sighs> we can have peace. <laughs> we can have peace even now. It does not matter when we look at prices, when we see what's going on in the world and you go to the grocery store and a tri-tip costs $35. Who does that? Okay. So the problem is, is what's happening is the trials in life, regardless of whether it's a medical condition or or, you know, things going on at work or life changes or just simply was as we watch the news, it's taking an emotional toll on a lot of people. And a lot of people are really struggling with anxiety and fear and depression and addiction and suicide rates are on the rise. And all of this stuff is happening, um, you know, because, <clears throat> because it is life. I mean, honestly, it concerns me too. I think we would be unwise not to have healthy, rational, real concern. Because, I mean, let's face it, worry and concern are a part of life. It's not that this is a call to, you know, pretend like nothing is happening or to live in a state of denial. That's not the case. Worry and concern is normal. Part of that is, is it keeps us safe and it keeps us healthy and it keeps us on the right direction. Parents, you know how this goes. It is normal and natural to have some concern over your children and their safety. So that's not a bad thing. Um, but what we need to do and what, again, what the apostle Paul tells us in the book of Philippians chapter four is especially wonderful for those who are chronic worry warts and stress cases. We call it the mental health chapter, but, um, Paul tells us, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to make our requests known to God. So Paul, you know, he's obviously saying clearly we're going to be anxious about things. There are things to be anxious about, but don't let it overtake us. Don't worry about it to the degree that we quit doing the things that we need to do. And yes, we go to God in prayer and we let him know what, it, what our needs are, but we do it with thanksgiving, thanking him in advance for what he is going, what he is going to do inside of our lives. And then the peace of God, that peace that comes from Jesus Christ, the relationship, the true source of peace, the peace that doesn't focus on the circumstances, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Now, let me tell you, this peace that surpasses understanding means we sometimes don't understand it, but we feel it. Like, have you ever had that moment where like you're in the middle of a crazy storm in life and yet you just feel calm because you know God's got it? If you haven't yet, I pray you do, because it does surpass any human wisdom. And the people that are watching you as you go through this might think you've lost your mind. <laughs> because it's like in the normal natural state anymore, people, it's, it's like high drama, high drama, high anxiety. And Christ followers, it's not that you don't get afraid and it's not that you don't 
struggle with things. It's just that knowledge. It's the knowledge that looks past the situation to the eternity. And the fact that this world is only temporary. And so we don't have to focus on what's going on in front of us right now. And when we can do that, when we, when we do this and we pray and we tell God what we need and we say, thank you, Lord, that you're going to give me absolutely everything I need, that peace guards our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. What it does is it, it stops it from consuming our thought life because that happens. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it's like, man, that goes around in my head over and over and I have to stop. Okay, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to think about that anymore. And then what happens? (laughs) I've been thinking about it and I think about it. This is something that we have to work on. And so when it comes to the trials in life, um, one of the things that we get to do is that we recognize there are still going to be problems, but we press on we press on, we do what Paul tells us in one chapter earlier in, um, in chapter uh, three, is that we press on for the upward call of Christ, forgetting what lies behind, but we just keep going. You know the old adage, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Some of us say the tough go shopping. <laughs> shopping brings you peace until you get the credit card bill, right? And then you're like, oh, no peace, no peace. So We've got the peace of God that comes through Jesus Christ. We are reconciled to him. We, have a, we are a new creation. We are no longer condemned. And through this comes the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the gift of peace. So now we can have peace inside of our relationships. We can be at peace inside of our relationships. We have the capacity to pursue peace with others. We have the capacity to have peace in trials no matter what's coming our way. And so as we finish up our day, our, t- our day today, just kind of a, a quick cap on, you know, that was a quick cap on what we've done. I just want to, I just kind of want to encourage us to remember that as we do this, the first thing we need to do is to know Christ, is to know him personally as the true source of peace and to understand that that's where it comes from so that we can then pursue the things that make for peace, which is what we've been talking about for the day. But I want to hit on just really quickly um, the rest of uh, the passage in chapter four of Philippians, in Philippians four. And I, you know, again, I cannot stress this enough. I encourage everybody, you know, regardless of what we go through in life, when we need to know what, how, you know, we ask God, how can I get through this? What can I do? If we could commit to memory Philippians four, six through nine, We have now got the formula of how to get through anxiety and worry and fear and depression and all kinds of things. So when Paul told us initially, don't be anxious for anything, pray about it, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, sometimes we stop there. But but the, the other great part of this is to continue on in the next few verses where he then tells us, finally, this is how, this is what we need to do. So after we pray, we need to follow it up with this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, anything that is excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, because we realize that when it comes to peace, when it comes to joy, when it comes to a lot of things, our temp- the temptation for us to not have it is to either blame losing it on someone or something, 
But let me just remind us all, no person and no thing can rob us of our peace. That's a, that's a misunderstanding. We give it up. We choose to focus on the bad things in a person or the bad things in life. But no, nobody, if that peace that we have is from God, nobody can take that. We got to give it over. So how we, how we handle this, since most of the time our temptation starts in the mind, it is a total mindset shift. It's, it's a complete, for one thing, it's a biblical worldview, but it's, it's a mindset shift of focusing on what is true and honorable and just and pure about God, about the situation, looking back in the past and, and reminding of calling, calling to mind how he has already provided for us, how he has already how he has already protected us, how he has already grown us through trials, how he has already just demonstrated his faithfulness and love to us. But notice in here where it says, think about these things. The word think in other translations is also dwell or to meditate on. And the, the word meditate, the word actually translates in the Greek, logizomai, which is where we get the word logic. So to meditate on all of this that Paul is instructing us is to be able to deliberately focus on something and it deals with reality. It is based on fact. It is not based on wishful thinking or hoping God will show up and help us out, but it's based on the facts of what he has already done and who he is. And that brings us peace. Because he is God. He is unchangeable. He cannot lie. He is not going to change anything. And he will only do what's good for us. And so we practice these things. These are some of the things that we, that we pursue in peace inside of our lives. Um, but also in that is to also develop that pattern of faithful obedience that as much as we possibly can, like we talked about in Deuteronomy, getting into the word abiding in Christ. Um, when we say that we love him, we will, we will keep his commandments. They're not burdensome. We will want to make every effort to faithfully walk with him and to be able to do that. Um, and as we do this is also too, just because of the fact that we know that even when we faithfully obey, things may not always work out the way we want them to, is to submit and understand to God's sovereignty inside of our lives and just be satisfied and content with what he has given us in any and all circumstances, whether it's the relationships in our lives, our circumstances, whatever the case may be. See, Paul learned the secret of contentment. Paul has spoken to us quite a bit today, and he really gives us his example as well, and that he was satisfied with whatever condition he was in, and he had been shipwrecked, he had been beaten, he had been stoned, he had been um, in the sea for a few nights, he had troubles with people. I mean, he had all kinds of persecutions coming at him, but he tells us, regardless of whatever his circumstances were, he learned the secret of facing anything and that he learned the secret of contentment because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And that's our encouragement for each one of us. But one final note, we look for peace for ourselves. We want to be at peace. We want the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. But we have to be careful that if we're only looking for peace for us, it can actually become self-centered and self-focused. See, in Luke 1, that's a really long chapter, <laughs> 79 verses. 
He's talking about John the Baptist. And John, his ministry was to go before Christ and prepare the path. He was a light to a generation sitting in darkness. He was a guide to their feet to the way of peace. He was the path to showing people who Jesus was, that he was the promised Messiah. And see, and that should be our goal too, is that we're to be a light to other people who are looking for peace. We do that by demonstrating how God gives us peace in our lives, but we also do that by sharing the gospel with them. And so we should have also that goal of sharing peace with others. And that actually brings us peace too. Um, Would you please join me in prayer? Father, we cannot thank you enough, first and foremost, that we get to sit here in peace and freedom because of who you are and that we are in a building that is warm with friends and family What a blessing that is. Lord, I just pray for those today who may be just struggling incredibly with needing peace in their lives. Lord, that if if we don't know you, that we would come to know you as the true source of peace. And just knowing that from there, everything else flows and that we have the ability to just experience and understand and live in the peace that we are so desperate for. And we thank you for giving that to us through your son, Jesus Christ, as we come to celebrate Christmas here in a few days, that we would just be reminded each day of why we get to celebrate. And we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Thanks for joining us online.